You're listening to the Grace Sermon Podcast with messages from Pastor Chris Twightman and the community at Grace Lutheran Church, Huntington Beach. We're a family church that exists to engage life together and impact our neighborhoods as disciples of Jesus. If you'd like more information about our church, please visit us online at gracehb.org. Now, stay tuned for today's message. What is a Christian? How would you answer this question? Say, to a curious friend or a family member or to someone who honestly asked, having never heard of or encountered the term Christian before, what would you say? If you call yourself a Christian, what does that designation mean to you? What specific criteria defines whether one is a Christian or not? I mean, is a Christian someone who believes in Jesus as the Messiah? Is that it? Is a Christian someone who looks to and trusts Christ for their forgiveness and salvation? Is a Christian someone who goes to church? Is a Christian someone who worships God through Jesus Christ? What is a Christian? How does one tell the difference between a Christian and a non-Christian? Sometimes we might observe someone who professes to be a Christian, and yet in our minds we think, or maybe even under our breath, we say, I don't really think that person's a Christian. So is being a Christian something we can declare about ourselves, or is it something that's evidenced by how we live? What marks or identifies someone as a Christian? When we talk about Christianity as religion, what kind of Christianity, what kind of religion does God actually value and bless? These are the questions that our passage in the book, the letter written by James purposes to answer today. And before all the possible responses we may give about what is a Christian, before all the other things we often try to make Christianity as a religion, James, the stepbrother of Jesus, is going to provide us with three specific answers. Let's listen for them as we hear from James chapter 1, verses 19 through 27. Good morning, Grace. Please join me for today's scripture reading from James 1, verses 19 through 27. My dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry, because human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. Therefore, get rid of all moral filth and evil that is so prevalent and humbly accept the word planted in you, which can save you. Do not merely listen to the word, and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Anyone who listens to the word, but does not do what it says, is like someone who looks in the mirror after looking at himself, goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. But whoever looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues in it, not forgetting what they have heard, but doing it, they will be blessed in what they do. Those who consider themselves religious and yet do not keep a tight rein on their tongues deceive themselves, and their religion is worthless. Religion that God or Father accepts as pure and faultless is this. To look after orphans and widows and their distress, and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. One of the things I love about what James writes is how direct he is. What he shares is just clear and to the point. I mean, there's not a lot of interpretation necessary in terms of what he says. He doesn't leave any room for that. What James leaves us with is always something to chew on 
something to reflect upon and ultimately respond to. And that's no different in our passage today. As James begins with a term of endearment, dear brothers and sisters, he writes, to which he immediately adds, take note of this, or in our modern language, brothers and sisters, pay attention. What follows are three concise but interrelated commands. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to anger. Underline that first word, everyone, especially all you who are talking right now during this sermon, having another conversation during this message. What James is saying right now is for everyone. Are we all listening? Because not ironically, that's the first thing James directs us to do. Listen. Spoiler alert, this whole passage revolves around listening. Did we notice it's in fact the only thing James here tells us to hurry up and do? Listen. Whereas most of us are quick to talk, quick to talk at each other, quick to talk over each other, quick to talk past each other, James instructs us to be quick to listen and slow to speak. Again, let's notice James doesn't tell us to be quick to hear. We're all good at hearing. Unless we're covering our ears or we are in some way impaired, hearing simply happens. We all perceive the sounds coming through our ears. Provided we're being addressed in our language, we all recognize the words as they are being spoken aloud. We can hear what others are saying. Most of us, in fact, are so uncomfortable with silence, we always have something on to hear. Music, the news, a podcast. Hearing is not something we need to be told to do. The problem is what we hear more often than not, as the saying goes, goes in one ear and out the other. So to you, the one who's still talking during this message, the one who often gets called out for not paying attention, to those of us who reply in response, I can hear you, understand this. James directs us to listen, and hearing is not the same thing as listening. Listening demands our attention, giving our attention, not to the running monologue inside our head, but attention to what the other person is saying. Listening requires focus and concentration, focus and concentration away from our knee-jerk reactions, the countless ways we immediately dismiss, insult, or critique what is being said before the person actually finishes saying it. Listening leads us first not to our rebuttal, but to repeating back what we heard. Listening leads us to check for understanding, not necessarily agreement, but understanding. Did I hear that right? Is that what you were saying? My friends, are we quick to listen and slow to speak as James, James tells us to be? Because if we ignore these first two things, then we're definitely gonna miss the third directive that he gives us, be slow to become angry. There's a reason these three commands are linked together. More often than not, our anger is born of not listening and being quick rather than slow to speak. Most of us tend to have a hard time listening but no trouble at all arguing. James is telling us one of the easiest ways not to be angry all the time is to take it slow when it comes to our anger. But again, that's not our default, is it? Whether it's openly expressed, verbalized, or not, anger is something most of us are not slow in developing. We talk of having a quick temper or having a short fuse. We speak of lashing out or going off on another person. We confide to another how even though we didn't say anything, we couldn't help but see red. We were just seething with rage. And just in case we count ourselves as those who perhaps don't rush to judgment, who don't go off half-cocked, as those who are not reactive, but in fact are deliberate and slow-burning, 
and thus justified in the regular expression of our anger, James elaborates further in this passage as he adds, because human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. James draws a line of separation between human anger and righteous anger. Let's break this down for a moment. First of all, James is not saying we cannot ever be angry. James writes to be slow to become angry. He does not write do not ever become angry. I mean, certainly a place exists for us as human beings to speak up and to speak out against situations of abuse or misconduct. Jesus, in his humanity, exhibited anger towards the money changers in the temple. Anger is a natural, God-given emotion we can and should have in the face of an injustice or a wrong that has been done. What James is cautioning us against is what we do with our anger, where we let our anger take us, particularly in terms of how we respond. The word for anger used by James here refers to a frustration that has been allowed to constantly build, that has become deep-seated and is expressed either as an unspoken passive-aggressive resentment or an explicit unrelenting rage. And leaving no wiggle room, making no exception, James declares the expression of such anger, typical boilerplate human anger, short circuits the righteousness God desires in our lives. That word righteousness, whereas the Apostle Paul in his letters normally uses the word righteousness to describe the status that God gives to us as a gift in Christ, the gift of being able to live as God intended, James is emphasizing the fruit of righteousness or righteous living living with each other as God intended, living out of the gift. As followers of Jesus, we are to be known for our love and not our anger. The fruit of the Spirit includes love, peace, kindness, gentleness, and self-control, but not anger. From where does the expression of such anger then come that James is talking about? James reveals the answer as he writes, therefore, get rid of all moral filth and the evil that is so prevalent. The implication is the source or the catalyst for the kind of anger James has been warning us against are the ways of the world apart from the righteous way of God. In other words, any form of human logic or emotion or impulse that glorifies vengeance over making peace, that defends retaliation instead of reconciliation, that champions getting our pound of flesh rather than bearing the burdens of another, that justifies dehumanizing or destroying our enemy over and against seeking to forgive and love those who wrong and oppose us. This is the moral filth. This is the evil that James is invoking. These are the postures, the attitudes, the mindsets that taint the spirit of a believer and hinder our right relationship with God and with others. My friends, we can disagree without being disagreeable. Anger that rages out of control does not represent God's way of solving problems. Regardless of what our political or theological position is, whether we are advocating for the protection of the unborn, whether we are protesting against racial inequality and injustice, whether we are lobbying for so-called traditional values or lobbying for so-called progressive values, whether we are trying to defend God or protect our right to worship God, whether we think COVID-19 is a serious threat or totally overblown, human anger expressed through callous verbal abuse or acts of violence is not righteous rage. It is sin, it is moral filth, it is evil, and as such, it brings disgrace, not honor, on the God we worship in Christ. We can be right in terms of a position and still be wrong if how we express that position is exercised out of unchecked and destructive anger. 
My friends, justice and righteousness exercised out of human anger leads to the reform that happens in the transfer of human power. And human power, taking control, corrupts absolutely every time. Now, perhaps we're all nodding our heads in agreement with what James is saying here, but let us not overlook how James is calling us not just to agree with what he's written, but to get rid of such anger in our lives, to shed this moral filth and evil like a pair of dirty clothes. Filth or disgusting dirt gets on us based on the spaces and places we occupy. We get dirty by playing or hanging around spaces and places that are dirty. So the question is, what are the places and spaces we are occupying that are modeling for us, that are emboldening us, from which we are learning that indulging our anger, not just getting mad, but getting even, that fostering fear and distrust, that insulting and mocking others is righteous and healthy behavior. My friends, how much time are you spending on social media? Because it's ripe with this kind of anger. How much attention are you giving to people ranting and raving on television, not reporting news, but spouting their opinions, points of view expressed to either make you mad at them or enraged with them? Human beings are inherently imitators. We mimic whatever we marinate in. So what are you marinating in? And what flavor are you giving off when you speak and act? Is it all just piss and vinegar with you, griping and grumbling, mocking and jeering? We expose ourselves to all kinds of voices and influences. Many of them, most of them, honestly, are not reflecting what Jesus would say, or in fact, what Jesus did say. Do we recognize this? Then why are we still letting those voices become our voices? James instead calls for us to singularly attune, to become fluent and to reflect only one voice, only one influence in how we think and speak as he calls for us to humbly accept the word planted in you, which can save you. James is not just talking about reading our Bibles more, though being in the word is a necessary and good place to begin. In that regard, here's a quick pulse or gut check. On any given day, in any given week, are we spending as much time and energy being in the word of God being influenced and shaped by the word of God as we are being influenced and shaped by our social media accounts or our preferred news network. And if not, why not? And if, that, if not, what change in us would happen if we reverse this trend? But again, James isn't talking about being in our Bibles, no. When he writes of the word planted in us, he's making a reference to a promise God made to us through prophets like Jeremiah and Ezekiel. Do you remember it? It was the promise to instill his word, to write his law, his way, his instruction onto our hearts. It was the promise that be his being in his word would become more than sticking our nose in a book or perking up our ears for a message. It would become the Lord speaking directly to us, leading, guiding, correcting, and growing us into who we were meant to become from within our minds and our hearts. And this promise was first fulfilled through God coming to be with us in Jesus Christ, the Word made flesh, a visible, tangible model of our humanity in perfect communion with God. Jesus, the way, the truth, and the life that God created intended and intended to be for us. And this promise continued to be fulfilled through God coming to be with us through the Holy Spirit, the Word of God made flesh, the Spirit of Jesus now in residence within our hearts and minds, producing faith extending grace, cultivating love, and fostering our growth towards maturity. In other words, the word that saves us is the word that continues to guide and to shape us. God's word, God's words to us indwell us. They become part of us. They do a work from the inside out, as it were. 
So my friends, the gospel is more than accepting the word of God, accepting Jesus in order to receive forgiveness and salvation. What James wants us to see is that too many of us dispense or set aside the word of God after our conversion, but that's just planting the seed. James is saying there has to be fruit harvested in us. We are to become more than we are in Christ. Being humble, open and receptive, being influenced and marinating in the word of the work of the word of the Lord via the Holy Spirit is the posture that James is calling us to adopt. That's God's full offering of grace. That's the means of our full blessing to be informed and transformed by God's word, to be strengthened, to persevere in faith and holiness, to be guided in how we act. This is the way we are to live. This is the antidote to a life lived out of constant anger and bitterness. James, however, immediately clarifies something important about all he's just said. As he writes, do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. In other words, implanted means access, not instinct. Just because the word and the spirit are within us doesn't mean what the word and spirit seek to cultivate in us automatically happens despite us. We have a free will. We make real consequential choices all the time. We are called to follow Jesus, to become like Christ. Jesus himself once said in Luke 11, the blessed are those who hear the word of God and keep it. So James, echoing his brother, underscores Listening to the word is great, but it's not enough. We have to do what it actually says. We have to respond to the truth and the wisdom, the guidance and the direction, the conviction and correction that the word provides. James warns, if we perceive obedience to the word of God as optional, we're deceiving ourselves. In other words, we're lying to ourselves, but we're not fooling God. Despite what he's just said, including that sobering warning that we're deceiving ourselves, do you notice how James assumes our ignorance and disobedience that we are not or will not listen to what he just told us? So he repeats this idea of being not just listeners, but doers of the word by way of a brief analogy. James says, those who listen to the word of God, but don't do what it says, are like a person who looks at his face in a mirror and then when he walks away, immediately forgets what he looks like. The key failure here is forgetting. Forgetting what one looks like is compared to forgetting the word of God. It's intended to be an absurd example. I mean, how can someone forget what he or she looks like, especially after just looking at him or herself in a mirror? It's not really honestly about forgetting. That's not James' point. James's point is about refusing to act on what, what's, what one sees. James' point is choosing not to obey what the word of God says. The person who listens to the word of God but does not follow it is a person who sees what God has made him or her to be. The image of God in each of us, the reflection of who we can become, are meant to be in Christ, but then that person refusing to let that image shape his or her life. In contrast, James says the person who intently in other words, stops and really looks at something, who observes it, who gazes upon it with penetrating absorption. The person who looks like that into the word of God, what James calls the perfect law that gives freedom. Such a beautiful, different way to describe Jesus, right? James says that person who does that and then continues in it, not forgetting what they've heard. In other words, doing what it says, following where it leads. James says that person will be blessed. Quick point here. By blessed, James doesn't mean when we listen and do what the word and spirit direct us to do, that God rewards us with bonus points or additional favors. We are blessed when we listen and do what the word and spirit direct us to do 
in the same sense that God's way is the right way for us to go, the best way for us to follow. Hence, it is the blessed way because it's the way that God intended our lives to be. But what does it practically look like to both listen to and do what the Word and Spirit tell us? The tense of the Greek verb translated be doers here stresses continuous action. In other words, James is calling on us to have an ongoing lifestyle of practicing the word of God. Again, to not only receive the gospel, but to continually and consistently live it out as well. And it's not so much about our willingness to do what the word says, it's about abiding in the word. Humbly receiving the word planted in us by faith means to focus on it, to lean into it, to remember it, to guard it, to listen to it, this is abiding. And as we abide, the word works in us, upon us, and ultimately through us, moving us to obedience, to following where the lead, word leads us, both in ourselves and in how we engage the world. In short, being in the word and the spirit leads to doing, being influenced, directed, and shaped in terms of our thoughts, our words, and our actions by the word and the spirit. To underscore what he's writing about, about not just being that it's not just being ritualistic, just checking a list of to-dos and to-don'ts, James concludes this section by talking about religion. When James speaks about considering ourselves religious, he's talking about the external, observable qualities of a life of faith. By religion, James means the visible signs of to what or to whom we worship or are devoted to. In other words, James is about to answer what does it mean to be a Christian. James is telling us what distinguishes Christianity from other religions. And what stands out here is what James doesn't say. A lot of people define being a Christian, the religion of Christianity, by pointing to acts like praying, fasting, attending church, or professing faith in Jesus, you know, making a decision for Christ. But James mentions none of this. What James does mention, he will go into in more detail later on in this letter. But for now, let's just notice what he actually says and how it relates to all that he shared with us. For James, echoing where he started, a Christian is someone who watches their mouth, who is quick to listen and slow to speak. Notice how James frames this, that those who can't stop talking for or at God instead of listening to God through the word and the spirit planted within them, listening through our giving attention to others, people through whom through God can and does speak. James says people who can't listen, who just can't shut up, their religion is worthless, their religion. In other words, that's not Christianity. That's not following Jesus. For James, being a Christian, the Christianity, the religion that God accepts, is being compassionate toward the hurting and the helpless, keeping oneself from being polluted by the world. The sec that second part, being polluted by the world, is a reference back to being shaped and formed not by the anger, the violence, the verbal abuse and callousness of the world that James talked about earlier. But that first part sounds like something completely new, caring for the, home, the widows and orphans. But if we think about it, it really is not. James has stressed that listening to the word of God must result in doing what the word of God says. Okay, well, what is the summation of what the word of God says? All of it, according to Jesus. You know it, love God and love our neighbors as ourselves. And if we were to put a little more accent on this, whom does God have a particular sensitivity and heart towards? The orphans and the widows. And even more than that, it's, that's a, just not an exclusive term. In the first century culture, orphans and, and widows had no standing in society and hence no ability by which to support themselves. So this grouping of widows and orphans was shorthand, representative of anyone who is helpless and hurting, who is victimized and alienated, who is abused and persecuted. 
Again, James is going to dig into what he said in these two verses later, but for now, we need to sit in what might be a very uncomfortable realization. If we have no heart for the helpless and the hurting, if we can't watch our mouths, if we can't live counter to a culture of outrage and bitterness, then we are playing religion and not actually following Jesus. Because for James, being a Christian means being and becoming, by the grace of God, someone who follows Jesus, listening primarily and exclusively to what Jesus says, how Christ directs us to engage this world. Being a Christian for James means reflecting Christ to others, not through our anger, but through our willingness to listen first and then speak. And in particular, to listen first to those cries of those in need. Being a Christian for James means doing what Jesus told us to do, which is to love others by serving them, not arguing with them, by forgiving them, not condemning them. For James, being a Christian is not about religious words and practices. Being a Christian is about words of justice, mercy, and grace expressed in action. It's reflecting the same love that God has, that God has given and extended to us in Christ. So maybe the question right now isn't, what is a Christian? Maybe the question we each need to be asking ourselves, thanks to James, is, am I a Christian? Well, my friends, are you? Are you a Christian?